0: Thank you, Art. You know, he had quite a job uh, this week because I I gave him the title of my lesson. He wanted to pick the songs that corresponded to the title, and and all the title was, the theme was The Law, The Law. So you did a good job, Art. uh, We appreciate that, and certainly we appreciate the singing of these songs and how he led us in that period of time when we were praising God. Now, in order to to help us relate to what Jesus was talking about, when he said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Now, one text says to accomplish it or to, to accommodate it. Another, another text that I prefer, of course, is this term fulfilled. He came to fulfill it, which meant that he came to complete it to bring it to its completion. In order for us to grasp what was going on with Jesus at that time and for us to get back into that environment so we can appreciate what he was talking about, let's talk about our law. Let's talk about the law we have in this country. We have what is known as a constitution. Now that constitution is the framework of all the laws that we have in this country that we are adhering to and, and trying to make sure that we, we uh, keep them and that we honor them and that we honor one another. Now, when we talk about the Constitution, we're talking about an agreement. We live, we live under a different type of a, an arrangement. Now, when we talk about the law in the, in the Old Testament, the law that Israel had, the law that Jesus was talking about, He's talking about a law that involved a contract between this nation of Israel and God. That's the contract. When we talk about the Constitution, our law, we're talking about a contract we have with one another. We do not have in our Constitution a contract with God. This is a very important point. We're not under a contract with God With the Constitution. Now, the Constitution was written between 1787 and 1789, and it was drafted and generally put in pen on paper by James Madison. He was given the given the uh, job to put it all together, and then it was signed. It was signed by representatives of the 13 colonies. When I was a kid in school, grade school. We started our school day by reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. You know what that is? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I don't think they do that anymore in our schools. I don't think they give the pledge. Now, the the original flag represents our relationship to one another in this country, in the United States. The 50 stars, actually, I, I pledged allegiance to a flag that had 48 stars. And uh, I don't know how many of you did, but I did. <laughs> then in 1960, 59 and 60, we added two more, Alaska and, and Hawaii. So now we have 50 stars, and these stars represent... Each of our states. So actually the flag is representing us as a people. And the 13 star, the thirteen stripes, white and red, represents the 13 original colonies. But basically what we're doing is we're saying we're pledging allegiance to one another to uphold our agreement that we have with one another because we live in a democratic republic. That means... To those of you have who have not taken a lot of social science in school or political science, that means that that we live in a democracy which is governed by the people, by us we we govern it, but we do it through representatives. that's the republic part of it. So a democratic republic, all of us send our representatives, the republic to the to the uh, seat of the government so that we can make the laws. Now the constitution forms the Framework of our relationships, social and political, to one another does not framework, that is not the framework for our religious relationship. That's not in our Constitution. Matter of fact, it was deliberately left out. Now, that Constitution was written by approximately 60 men cooperating, a little less than 60 men, and these men were flawed. They weren't perfect, they were not inspired men. Our Constitution is not a, an inspired document. It did not come from heaven. It came from other men, men together. And so because it was flawed, then we have to add amendments to try to correct the problems in that Constitution. It is, as I understand it, it is the longest government of its nature that the world has ever seen. Okay, it's, it's been around that, that long. Over 200 years, 300 years, going on to 300 years. So we have, we have a government, a, demo, a democratic government, that is long in the tooth. But because it is made by men, it's flawed, and therefore it has amendments changing it. Now, what we have to remember is we have never had in this country a foreign government with its foot on our neck. Never. Never. You say, well, when we came to this country on the Mayflower and so forth, there was another country that had its control over us, but we were not a country at that time. We were not a a people. We were not the United States of America. We were 13 independent colonies, and we sued for independence. We didn't have it. But once we have our Constitution, we have never had a foreign power over us as a people. We are a people, the United States of America, and we have a constitution. Can you see this? And it's a law. And that constitution is a law. Now, there are ways that we administer that constitution. That's, that's called, we have three branches of government. Remember? And I, this isn't a political speech, by the way. I'm going, to, I'm going to get to the point in just a minute. I want you to, I want you to feel what's going on with Israel and with Jesus. So we have three branches. We have the executive branch, we have the the uh, judicial branch, and we have the what? All right. Now, now, we have these three branches, and in order for us to change a law or to interpret a law, we have a Supreme Court and justices. We have a justice system. So then when, when we have differences or Discussions concerning the law, we take this up with the Supreme Court or with the lower courts and then they move it on up to the Supreme Court to change our laws and then we sometimes get an amendment. Isn't that correct? So we have amendments to our Constitution. That's because it's a man-made document. But still we have those who are studying the law in the judicial branch that are trying to tell us what it means. Now, that's what was going on. Now, let's let's get back to our text. When Jesus came, he came to a people who had a constitution. They had a constitution. And they had a government that had its foot on their neck. They they had a, a foreign government on their land dictating to them. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, can you imagine how these people were feeling? We do not want someone on our... Can you imagine now if Russia came to this country and said, we're going to take over, you're now going to be subject to our rules and our regulations and our government and our law? We'd say, wait a minute, we have a constitution. We are a people with our own constitution. How did France feel... When Germany invaded them in the late 30s, early 40s and took over their government, how did they feel? Well, they felt like they needed to get out from under that government, get out from under Germany. And so did Poland. And so did the other Czechoslovakian uh, nations that Germany invaded and overwhelmed. And the Netherlands. So what we have is we have a foreign government saying we're going to rule you. And your constitution is meaningless. It means nothing to us. That's what happened when Jesus came to this earth. He came to his people that were being ruled in his own country, their own country, by foreign power. And they're telling them, you're going to do what we tell you to do. And these people were squirming. How do we get out from under this? What about our law? So when Jesus steps on the scene, notice, notice what he says. He said, I didn't come to change your law. I didn't come to change your constitution. He said, I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to change it. Now, let's look at this just a minute. They had a constitution. They had been, they had been subjected to foreign powers since 700 years before Jesus got there. The Assyrians came and carried them away. Their capital, by the way, was Jerusalem, and their capital city was Zion in Jerusalem. Our capital is Washington, D.C., and we have a capital building there, don't we? We have a constitution, we have a law, and we have all of that, and if someone were to come along and say, we're going to take over and make sure that you do not do anything we don't want you to do. Okay. Okay. That's what the Roman government did. They came in and said, we are the law now. Now, in order for the Jews who had the law, which was their constitution, and the framework of their law, in order for them to function, they actually appointed 71 individuals, 71 scholars. I'm going to write on this other board so you can see it. 71 of the of the scholars who knew the law, like our Supreme Court, let's say, like our judicial system. Seventy-one men met never on the Sabbath day, always during the week, and 30 years, or or I, I guess about 70 years before Jesus arrived, the Roman government recognized these men as authorities in that country. They were called the Sanhedrin, S-A-N-H-E-D-R-A-N. Now, when Jesus came, there were two that we know of that uh, Josephus tells us about specifically. And this was, uh, these were two men called Hillel and Shammai. Now, these were national interpreters or judges of the law. So whatever the people wanted to know how the law applied to them, they turned to this group of 71 men. Sometimes these were national men. They, 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 they included all of Israel. And Israel could have been spread around, and they were, it's called the dispersion. They were spread all over the country, all over the known world at that time in different places, different pockets. And sometimes local groups had their own Sanhedrin made up of 23 men, scholars, that they appointed. Again, these men did not meet to convene and to decide matters on the Sabbath day. But on the Sabbath day, all the people came together and talked about the law. How does the law apply? In order for them to actually get their... Information and get their application of the law, they turned to the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin then told them what the law meant. Okay? Follow me so far? So when Jesus got here, he, he he all of a sudden he began to talk about their constitution. He said, I haven't come to change your constitution, haven't come to change your law, but I came to fulfill it, to complete it. Now the first thing I would have thought about being an egotistical guy like I am, and knowing something about the law, I thought, who are you to change my law? Who are you to fulfill my law? The law is complete. God gave it to us. It doesn't need anything. You see what I'm saying? So Jesus made some enemies right away, didn't he? He said, I came to fulfill it. I came to complete it. What was lacking, I'm going to complete. What, what is not there, that needs to be there now think about this a minute the Sermon on the Mount starts out that way it starts out by Jesus saying you have heard by them of old thou shalt not murder if you murder you will stand in judgment but I say unto you Ho! you have heard by them of old that you shall not murder if you murder you will stand in judgment that I say unto you, who is angry with his brother without a cause shall stand in judgment. So Jesus said, Here's the rest of it. You didn't get it all. Here's the rest of it. Then he said, If anybody that says calls his brother a fool will be in danger of the judgment and hellfire. And he talks about adultery. You have heard them of old say, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his own heart. You have heard by them of old who have said, You shall uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, Turn the other cheek. So Jesus was tampering with their constitution. Now, in A.D. 30, this is when Jesus started his ministry. It's significant, I think, that the Roman government told the Sanhedrin they could not pronounce a death penalty. They couldn't pronounce a death penalty. Now, part of their death penalty was for blasphemy. If anyone blasphemed God, they could have him put to death. Part of it was if any any man spoke against the law, they could put him to death. So you see, they had some powers under the Roman government. The Roman government said, A.D. 30, you can't do that anymore. Therefore, when they brought Jesus to Pilate, they said, our, our law says that we can't, we can't put him to death. You have to do it. You say, well, what happened? Weren't, weren't they stoning people before Jesus during his time? Weren't the, weren't, the, weren't the Jews stoning folks when they violated the law? Yes, they were. And in Acts 7, you're going to find a group of men, mainly those of the of the Grecian synagogues, that had come together and they were, they were questioning Stephen. And when they finally got all they wanted to hear from Stephen, they stoned him and the Apostle Paul was part of it. But that was not the Sanhedrin pronouncing the judgment of death. That was simply them doing what they thought they should be doing. But the Sanhedrin had lost its teeth because the Roman government said you can't, You can't pronounce judgment anymore. That's not in your bailiwick. You can't do that. The Roman government was changing what they thought was their law. All right. In A.D. 70, basically, the Sanhedrin was disbanded. They were told you can no longer meet. And that's when, of course, the city of Jerusalem fell. And the Romans destroyed the capital city of the Jews. Tore down all the temples, tore everything down, destroyed all their, their records, their archaeological records, all their ancestral records, destroyed every, everything that they could. Among the Jews, they, they had a, a war and they were destroyed. The, the, uh, the records were destroyed and the people were dispersed. But before that time, let's go back to what we're talking about in terms of, of the, the nation of Israel itself. Israel had a law. I want I want to look at that law with you this morning. And their law was composed of initially 10 commandments, right? So I'm going to read a text in Exodus chapter 19 verse 4 and 5, and I'm going to take you back to the time when they first got when did we get our constitution? 1789. We won our freedom in 1776, but we did not have a constitution until 1789. Now, Israel got their constitution in the wilderness when they went from the land of Egypt on their journey to the promised land. Their land, God was going to give them their land and and disperse the people, get the people out of the land and give them the land that flows milk and honey. So they were going to their own homeland. Israel has not had a homeland since that time until 1947. Did you know that? They've always been under suppression by some other nation. 1947, they overthrew the government, the British government, and declared their own independence. Okay, they, they have their, some, some of their land now, and they're still fighting for their land back there. And their constitution, of course, has changed a great deal. And we can't say that they have the same constitution that the Israelites had when they came out of Egypt. They don't adhere to these things. But the point I want to make with you is, when Israel stood in the wilderness with God at Mount Sinai, God made an agreement with Israel. And God's agreement was, here's my law. And Israel's agreement was, we will keep that law. Now, Exodus 19, verse 4 and 5 Speaking through Moses, God said, You have seen what I did under the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, my agreement, then you will be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now, sometimes that covenant, that law, that agreement, is called the Law and the Prophets. And the reason it's called the Law and the Prophets is, the basis or the framework of the Law is in the Ten Commandments, and the Prophets give the way that this should be adhered to, and the history of the people who are trying to adhere to that Law. Okay? So when Jesus talks about the Law, He sometimes includes this this phrase, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35 through 40, one of them that was a lawyer asked him, saying, Which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the, best, which is the biggest one? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So he's including the prophets in with the law. These statements are taken directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 5 and Leviticus chapter 19 at verse 18. These two are found, actually found in the Old Testament. The prophets were included in that agreement because they set forth the application of the law to the people, including Moses. Moses was a prophet in chapter 18 of the book of Deuteronomy. So, Moses was a prophet, and he explained the law and the application of the law. And when you read the law, what is called the law generally, and Israel now calls it the Torah, T O R A H, the Torah, that's the law. That includes the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy is sort of extra, because Deuteronomy is actually a repeat of the three books of the law, okay? So the basis of the law actually is Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. But the framework of the law are the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. I don't know if you can, you can recite the Ten Commandments in order. But anyway, here they are. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17. And when Jesus was talking about the law, when he said, I came not to destroy the law and the prophets, I came to fulfill, they're going to think Ten Commandments. Alright, the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. Commandment number two. You shall not make unto you any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, are a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Commandment number two. Now, commandment number three, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then he describes what the Sabbath day is like. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives you. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Number ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maid servant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Now, Exodus chapter 34, verse 27 and 28 says, The Lord said unto Moses, Write these words, and after the tender of these words I have made a covenant with the house of Israel. Now, he put these on two, two stones, two tablets of stone. These ten commandments, he wrote them down. The finger of God in the stone, etched in the stone. They took these two tablets and put them in the Ark of the Covenant and carried them with them. Eventually, they lost them. They lost the two tablets of stone. Now, I know we've watched this movie uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and stuff like that. That was Harrison Ford looking for that Ark of the Covenant so he could find the two tablets of stone and the Book of the Law. What I what I want to emphasize to you is that the words that he commanded them that day were those Ten Commandments, not all of the law. The Ten Commandments that form the framework of the law. Follow me? And I know this, I know this, because I know it's not all of the law. I know it because he says, "You're, you're supposed to write these on two tablets of stone. That's what he wrote. And then... I know this because in Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 9, he says, These words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand. Now, when we're talking about the law, we're talking about the law and the prophets, which includes a great bulk of information. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. That's the law, plus the prophets. They could not have written all of that down on their hand. But they could write the Ten Commandments. You follow? The argument I'm making, the point I'm making is, that he's talking about the basis or the framework of the law, the Ten Commandments. He said, you'll bind them for a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets, Between your eyes, and you shall write them upon the post of your house in your gates. And Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13 says, He declared unto you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, even Ten Commandments. That was His covenant, that was His constitution. The Ten Commandments. It's called the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. But there was more to the law than just the Ten Commandments. The law embodied the entire book of the law. That's what the law embodied. The entire book of the law, which is in scrolls basically. But it included the rituals that the Jews were to observe along with all the regulations of their daily life. The book of the law contained things such as the type of cloth you were to make your clothes with. The type of food you were to eat or could not eat where you could travel and what you could do and the people you could marry and the people you could relate yourself with. It included the rituals that they had, the, the sacrifices that they offered. It included their priesthood. It included their, it included all their worship services. That was the book of the law. I know that that's the book of law. I know that's what it is. And the reason I know that's what it is is because when Israel came back from Babylonian captivity... And they went back they were sent back to their land about 400 years before Jesus when they all came back the priest Ezra stood up and read to them all the book of the law Now how long did it take me to read the 10 commandments You know how long it took Ezra to read the book of the law 7 days Okay So he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. When Jesus said he came not to destroy the law and the prophets, he's talking about the whole book of the law. Everything the prophets said about the law. Everything the law said itself. And all the ramifications involved in the law. You follow what I'm saying? Their constitution included not only the framework of their relationship with God, but included all the activities that they performed beneath that law or against that law, as it were, sometimes. So now Jesus is talking about coming and taking some action relating to that whole Old Testament system, the whole thing. He's saying not one jot or one tittle shall depart from the law until all be fulfilled. And he said, if any of you teach or uh, observe, don't, do not observe the law, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, if you break the law. So he's talking about this system, like our Constitution. Our Constitution includes everything that we do. Now, you know, and I know, if you are, have a left-leaning or a right-leaning, that there are social entities... That are taking advantage of whatever prejudice we have and whatever ideas we have concerning our constitutional law. And so you can listen to some or watch some broadcast on TV or hear it on the radio that will advance what you how you feel about our constitution, one way or the other. You can you can do that. The thing is, our constitution that we are following is our agreement we have with one another. So our fuss with this is with each other. How do we want? These laws to apply to ourselves. Our fuss is not with God, because that's not our that's not our law with God. That's not our relationship with God. That's not our agreement with God. And that wasn't Israel's agreement with God. Israel had an agreement with God that was contained in the Law and the Prophets. That was their agreement. The Romans said, "Now you have to do what we want you to tell, what we tell you to do." And they were saying. You can't tell us to do things that God doesn't want us to do. And that's basically the same situation we're in today. No one can tell us, and I can't tell you to do something that you believe God does not want you to do because you have an agreement with Him. We have an agreement, but you also have an agreement, and I have an agreement with God. That's our covenant. Israel had that same kind of covenant. Now, Jesus said, He said that He he did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. So, the scope of the law involved everything about the Old Testament law. Everything about it. So, when I'm reading the book of Kings, and the books of Chronicles, the book of Ezra, and Nehemiah, and when I'm reading Psalms, and when I'm reading Proverbs, I'm reading about laws that were enacted to these people that they were under. There are a lot of good things back there. A lot, of good, a lot of good examples I can go and look at. But I don't live under that regime. I don't live under that law. Because Jesus said, I, I'm coming to change this. I'm going to fulfill it. And one of, the prophets, one of the prophets said that was what was going to happen. In Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-one, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband unto them. And in Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 6, he says, But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry, that's talking about Jesus, by how, by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. If that first covenant had been faultless, No place would have been sought for the second. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 it says, Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now Jesus did not change that law or that constitution that they had till he died on the cross and arose from the grave. At that point, that old testament system, that old testament law, that old testament agreement ended. Somebody's gonna say, well okay, now it's it's okay if I commit murder. Now then I'm free from that law, I can commit adultery. Now then I can hate my brother. You see? Because the law doesn't doesn't regulate me any longer. All these things that the law said, the Ten Commandments have no effect on me anymore. So That's the attitude some people take. And that's what Paul said. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Here's the point. When that covenant ended, it was not against the promises of God. The law was right. God forbid if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. So we look back at the law and we say, Okay, these are good commandments. These are good principles. These are good concepts as to how we should relate to God. I cannot swear by the name of God. I cannot swear by the name of God. Well, you say the old covenant law ended. Why can't you swear against God? Why can't you take the name of God in vain? That law ended. So we, we have the problem then of how do we relate to this? How do we relate to the law that has been concluded by the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith, Galatians 3.24. And here's what Paul told Timothy, though, and listen carefully. Here's what he told Timothy. He said from a child, 2 Timothy 3.15-17, through 17, you've probably quoted this and memorized it, "...from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus." The only Scriptures they had were the Old Testament Scriptures. So he's saying, you have been made wise by the Old Testament Scriptures. He's not saying, Timothy, you still live under that restriction of the law. But he's saying, you've been made wise by these Scriptures." And he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we look at the law and we see concepts of righteousness, don't we? We see what righteousness is and unrighteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, sin did not change. Sin before the cross was sin. Sin after the cross is sin. It's still the same sin. And so the same laws that govern sin are still in effect, basically. The point is that that we do not live under a covenant relationship with God like Israel did. They lived under that restriction that we have to keep these laws in order for us to be a people under God. When Jesus came, we were released from that covenant, but not from the concept of righteousness or unrighteousness. Did I lose everybody on that one? When Jesus died on the cross, the law ended as a, an agreement with good, between God and Israel. That's what ended. The concepts of right and wrong did not end when Jesus died on the cross. And so for, re, for me to get some idea of what's right and what's wrong, what's moral and immoral... What's legal and illegal, what's ethical and ill ethical, I look at the Old Testament, I can see that. But I do not live under a covenant that says, Bill, if you do these things, you can be my people. No. I live under Jesus Christ as a different, entire different covenant that I have with him. That's what I'm going to talk about next Sunday, by the way. The law, the spirit of life, rather than the Old Testament law, rather than that covenant. Now, in First uh, Timothy chapter one, verse eight through twelve, here's, here's here's the point I'm trying to make. Paul said, "We know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully." Okay, he said, "We know the law is good." He did not say we know the law still is over us and that we have a covenant with God through the law. That's no longer that's no longer in play. But he says, "We know the law is good." He said, "We know it. We know that we can tell the difference between right and wrong with the law. Here's what he said. He know we know the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers, murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers." When he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, he included all sorts. By the way, the word adultery is the big word. That's the big word. Homosexuality is under that big word. Fornication is under that big word. Adultery is just not between married folks. Adultery is the big word, and the other words come underneath it. So when he said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, he's talking about any sexual activity that's wrong. Any unethical, unreasonable, immoral sexual activity comes under that phrase, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's there. Now, as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we see the explanation of that and the application of that. So we see, for instance, people that men with men, women with women, homosexuality, is sinful. It's wrong. Because it comes under that phrase, adultery. But be that as it may, what he's saying here is, that if the law was made for sinful men, for perjured persons, for liars, for men-stealers, for those that defile themselves and mankind, if there be any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. If we have a question about what's right and what's wrong, we look at sound doctrine, which is the gospel of Christ. Now, you have a contract with God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You have a contract with God, and your contract is... I will do what Jesus Christ, my Savior, tells me to do. Very simple. Very simple. I will follow everything He says that's right, and I will avoid everything that He says is wrong, and I will look into the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, the one that He wrote, the one that He, he, put, he put forth from His death, according, He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. He is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone, to everyone that believes. I'm going to end it at this point. I think I've said enough. What I, what I needed to say, what I want to make sure that you understood, was when we're looking at law, the Old Testament, I'll just wrap it up. Ten Commandment law. Now why shouldn't we also keep the Sabbath? Because that was... A sign between God and Israel, and that's stated in the Old Testament for us. Matter of fact, I probably ought to mention that to you and and uh, and show you show you what the, what the Bible says about it, so that we uh, we don't make a mistake when we come to the to the Sabbath. And I intended to do that. Now let's see if we can guess. We see if we can we can get that. I'm thinking it's in uh, chapter. Exodus chapter thirty-one, verse thirteen, I believe, where the where the Bible says that uh, the children of Israel were to keep this Sabbath because it was a sign between Him and them throughout all their generations. Exodus thirty-one, thirteen, I believe, is the text. So that was that was a specific. There are general laws, Ten Commandments. Kurt said, I got it. Exodus thirty one verse thirteen. Okay, that's it. There are general laws in the Ten Commandments, and then there was a specific one that applied only, exclusively. Nobody else involved in this one ever. The Sabbath. That was it. It was a sign between him and Israel. That's why we don't keep the Sabbath. I'm going to leave it at that. So uh, so that uh, when we when we talk again, I want to I want to talk some more about how we can make ourselves amenable to the law of Jesus Christ and what it means because we are a people we are a people governed by another law other than the Constitution of the United States of America did you know that? we actually have a law that's higher than that higher than that we can quarrel about and about, squabble about the law that we have constitution we, we are in a constitutional crisis right now that's because it's a human law and so we're, we're squabbling about it we're trying to get it changed but you're not going to change the law of God because it's not a human law it's a contract between God and me God and you not me and you between God and you. Our Constitution is you and me, but our agreement with God is God and me. God help you keep that in mind. When you're thinking about political things and listening to political broadcast and getting upset about what this country's going to do and what the Constitution's going to do and how we're going to do it and and, uh, how people are fighting over the amendments and fighting over the application and Think about this, that we have a law that is beyond that one, that we have something more important. And it's going to endure. Constitution endured has endured over 200 years. The law of Christ has been here over 2,000 years. And it will be here when everything else is gone. Let's stand and